0: This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. And today's guest definitely spells his name correctly. Welcome singer Mark Broussard to the podcast family. And man, does he have soul. His voice reminds you of the greats like Otis Redding, Al Green, and Sam Cooke. Mark talks about the movie that started his career at the ripe old age of five and a half. At the influence of his dad, Louisiana Music Hall of Fame inductee Ted Broussard, And he tells me about how he got his first record deal and why he asked to be released from it that started the story of how mark went independent and began his series of sos albums recorded for various charities mark even wrote a children's book as a companion piece for one of those albums he's released his latest sos album with a focus on the blues to that end he recruited his good friend and blues guitar legend joe bonamassa to help out this album pushed mark out of his comfort zone but in doing so he's received some of the highest praise of his career particularly from his peers he's learned a lot throughout his career and he shares a lot of it here particularly about the writing process that he goes through he's on tour constantly as we learn so check him out on instagram at mark broussard for tour dates pick up sos4 blues for your soul at ktbarecords.com or wherever you get music Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. Pick up our stuff at performanceanx.threadless.com or send coffee money at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Now prepare to get lost in Mark Broussard's voice on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okie dokie. Hey,
1: what's going on, y'all? Mark Broussard here, and I am on the Performance Anxiety Podcast with my dear friend, Mark Shea. I'm here promoting my newest album, SOS4, Blues for Your Soul. It's a charity album that I did with a buddy of mine named Joe Bonamassa. You might have heard of that guy. Stick around.
0: Mark, you there? Yes. How you doing? I'm great, brother. How are you? Oh, good. Good. Oh, this is awesome. Before we get started, I want to congratulate you on uh, spelling your name correctly.
1: Yeah. So. But it's not really my deal. That was my parents. <laughs> well, uh, mine, but I'll pass
0: it on. Mine my dad's I'm a second and my son is now a third. So. Oh, wow. So it's it, so, so apparently I guess we should thank my my uh, grandparents. Did you all go by Mark? Yeah, and that's it. It's just Mark Shea. We have no middle name or anything. Oh, wow. None that's of, interesting. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it's not short for anything. It's just that's what it is. Heard that. So, well, it's a pleasure to see you, buddy. Oh, you too. Thank you, man. I've, uh, I've been listening, going back and listening to so much stuff, and it's I, I'm blown away by it. It's incredible. Let me just fill up my, my uh, glass here. Got cracked open something new yesterday, so I'm going to give it oh, a Oh, you on a bitch. <laughs>
1: I might have to go make myself something in a minute. Go
0: right ahead. Go right ahead. Like I said, we're in no rush. <laughs> but... I've never had this before, before last night, I should say. So it's a um, variant of Grand So it's a nice little brandy, okay, with vanilla in it. It's
1: called, I like vanilla.
0: It's called Navan.
1: I like vanilla a whole lot in my whiskey.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, this was a birthday present from my mother. So
1: nice gal. So yes, she's a nice gal.
0: She's also awesome. cheers. Cheers, brother. Oh, that's, that's good. That's definitely a lot of vanilla in there. Is it, is it a whole lot? It is, it is. Not in a real, (laughs) not in a bad way, but you know how Grand Marnier is a little more orange forward? This is way more vanilla forward. (laughs) All right. All right. So let's, let's dive into this. And the way I'd like to usually start is from the beginning Let's like to discuss how you got to where you are, how the how you got from being a kid to releasing the SOS Four album. So, yeah, so
1: sure, if, I can uh, I can regale you. It's a story I've told uh, many many times. So my my father is a musician, and his father was a musician as well. And my dad would book this gig down in Destin, Florida, to kind of help offset the cost of our family vacation every year. So we would go on Destin. vacation and and he would book this gig down there. Well, a few days before we'd left for that vacation, when I was about five and a half years old, so this would have been probably somewhere around 1987. We were watching Back to the Future. Back to the Future had made it onto TV okay. for the first time, and so m- my brothers and I were watching Back to the Future, and and I saw Michael J. Fox, I saw Marty McFly perform Johnny Be Good, right. and uh, I was just repeating the hook over and over again. Johnny be good, Johnny be good. And my dad said, do you want to learn that song, son? I said, yeah, daddy, I want to learn it. So the next day he comes home with the lyrics and uh, teaches me all the words. I memorized the words pretty quickly. He started playing, I started singing in key. Uh, He ran it again. He said, let's do it one more time. And on the second verse, the, the second time we ran through it, on the second verse, he modulated up a half step and I followed him.
0: Okay, so can you, not being a musician, can you kind of explain what that means modulating it up a bit
1: yeah you're just changing the key up a half step so okay. you're taking it uh you know from from one key if it's in a you would be taking it up to to B flat and then he modulated again another half step up to B on the third verse and I followed him again wow and that's that was just an indication that that I had a, a decent ear that I could hear the keys that I needed to be singing in and that excited my dad quite a bit. So he put me on stage that very weekend in in Florida. That was my first performance ever. Oh wow! Uh, at five and a half years old, and then I would just kind of like pal around with him on occasion because he would he wasn't a full time musician. He was a full time contractor, a home builder, but played on the weekends and on occasion when the when the venue was appropriate, I would go along with him. I'd help him carry some guitars and guitar amps. And uh, and if the opportunity arose, I would be able to get up on stage and sing. So I was performing oh, from five and a half years old all the way throughout my childhood on a fairly regular basis. I wouldn't say more than about a dozen times a year, but that was enough for a kid like me to get a good feel for what the stage felt like and yeah, um,
0: and, and not have stage fright. I mean, if you don't know any oh, yeah. better, you know
1: exactly. I I actually say that a lot. I say that I was on stage before I even understood what social anxiety was. Yeah. So I've always felt very, very comfortable going up on the stage. Never had a problem with it at all.
0: And your dad uh, is is actually in the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame because he was in the Boogie Kings, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. He was inducted with the Boogie Kings, and back in I think uh, it was uh, somewhere around 1993, right around the time he actually got out of that band. The Boogie Kings is a is sort of a legacy band that has been around uh, around these parts, around South Louisiana and and Southern Texas for. I don't know, something like seventy years. They've been around since the nineteen fifties. Oh my god. And they just kind of had a revolving door of musicians come in and out of that band. Um, but my father was in it for a number of years. And I got to perform with those guys as well. I was I think I might be the only member that would they ever unofficially inducted into what they call the uh the FBKOA, the future boogie
0: kings of America. <laughs> yeah. First and only member. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so in doing the research, I think you may have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I was, one of the websites I go to to get a lot of my information is Discogs. And according to Discogs, you wrote your first song right out of the womb. So uh. they list your first credit as in 1982 as a writer for, for the Portuguese release by an artist named Ariane. Uh, the song is, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but Nuat Evida so congratulations
1: that's uh that wasn't me
0: (laughs) that's quite are you sure i mean you know i positive i've only had one person (laughs) who remembers being born on this show and so no way so you got somebody that remembers being born you will not believe who it was well you might once i tell you oh man Uh, i'll give you one Marilyn manson no richard Lloyd. richard lloyd from television what yeah he swears he remembers being born
1: Yeah, I also met a gal years ago uh, who swore she was three months (laughs) post-term. Her her mother held on to her for another three months. Yeah, I'm going to take that one with a a grain of salt.
0: Maybe we should get them together. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Richard was one of my most interesting episodes. Decided like 30 minutes in, he's like, I got to go in a few minutes. Okay, we haven't even hit on television yet. We haven't talked about (laughs) television. So it was, uh, that, but sounds interesting. He's the only guy I knew that ever got punched in the face by Jimi Hendrix. So,
1: wow. So yeah. Interesting life. This guy had. he he
0: blew up a Chinese life. Yeah. This was about the time he wrote a book about all of this stuff and this was about that time and it was just insane. The stories wow. he was telling, it's, it was worth the weirdness it's I bet. Very high stages. I like
1: characters. I do like characters. You know, <laughs> Louisiana is ripe with them, especially the city of New Orleans. Oh yeah. People, you know, the, some of the most interesting characters from around the world end up in New Orleans. So oh, I, yeah. I enjoy some of those folks sometimes.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Before you skip over this ad give me one minute like most podcasts i pick sponsors carefully and i use the products that advertise here pure spectrum cbd is a product that has been really beneficial for me they have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis i've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety and i absolutely love the isolate i use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD pure spectrum CBD pure spectrum CBD so singing for you was first and foremost then Um, were you trained I mean did they did your dad have you take lessons and did that branch into instruments at that time when you were a kid
1: no, so I definitely joined, uh, there was a, a children's choir through the local university here. Uh, back then it was USL, the Raging Cajuns, now it's ULL. Oh yeah. But the, there was a, a children's choir ran by the, the choir director at, at UL. And uh, I was involved in that for a, a very brief period when I was probably in the fifth, fourth or fifth grade. Uh, I switched to a public school that had a, an actual choir in the sixth grade and I joined choir and I was in choir and show choir throughout my school years from From that point on. That was really the only formal education that i had ever had with regards to singing though. Wow. Um, n- no private lessons with anybody. I did do some private lessons once I became a professional with certain vocal coaches who, man, it's so odd. <laughs> Vocal coaches are some of the strangest people on planet Earth. Really? Oh yeah, man. They're very, very odd human beings. Oh my. Even, even- but can be very they can be very useful in a pinch for sure. And and my latest, the latest vocal coach that I worked with happened to be the least weird of them all. Uh, he's a fantastic <laughs> guy named Mark Baxter. Okay. I did one session with Mark Baxter. It was 150 bucks for a session, and it's the best $150 I ever spent. He wow. gave me two warm... Yeah, he gave me two warm ups that that I've used for I think it's been five years or so now, and those two warm ups have wow. saved my career in, that, a, in every way conceivable.
0: That is high praise. That's a, oh yeah, that's amazing because your voice is insane. I well, thank you, Mar. It's it's funny because uh, I started playing the the new album for my wife, and she's just she just got completely. Blown away, she's huge into people like as I am, but she loves like Otis Redding is her favorite of all time. Oh wow! And Sam Cooke, and so when she heard you, she was just like jaw dropped. <laughs> so it was, I I did the jaw drop, and then as I'm doing that, I'm like that really doesn't work on a podcast. I better describe what I'm doing.
1: You know, I I grew up listening to those guys, and uh, oftentimes when I get to sing their songs. These are songs that I've been living with for way longer than songs that I've written myself. So I feel like a much deeper connection with with some of the material that I've been able to cover versus my own material. Much, much deeper connection.
0: That is so str- that's a strange thing to hear. But it makes sense because you know, sure. you've had those songs since you were a kid and you've only been writing songs for uh, well, well, I shouldn't say only been writing songs, but you've been writing songs for a shorter period than you've been listening to songs. So I guess that makes exactly.
1: sense. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Uh, so- and I've sung
1: those songs, you know, in my head a billion <laughs> times over and worked out little different, you know, different little phrases and different runs and whatnot. I've been inspired at times when I'm singing those songs in my head and it takes years. It really does take years of having strong relationships with songs like that for you to get inspired sometimes to uh to step outside of of what was put down and and at the jump.
0: And I'm um, imagine as a young artist getting getting on stage, you know, you don't have your own repertoire to sing yet, so you're singing these classics.
1: Oh yeah, man. You know, the the SOS project for those that don't know, I I was on major labels for the for the first half of my career. And uh, I never saw any of the record revenue from those record deals because just because of the calculus of a a record deal, I never recouped. So I never saw that money. When I went independent in 2013 or so, all of a sudden I had this new revenue headed my way and it was revenue that I had never leaned on for my family's needs. And so even though I wasn't necessarily like bursting at the seams with cash at the time I felt some sort of a moral compunction to, I don't know, fix the karma on those dollars, if you will. I can understand. And that. we decided to go ahead and, and instead of keeping the lights on in office buildings in New York and LA decided to keep the lights on for people that actually needed to keep their lights on. So we started making these covers albums as part of what's called the SOS series. And uh, it's been more of a blessing for me than it's been for anybody else, wow. I think. Lots of unintended benefits that, that I never foresaw at the beginning of the project have, have come to fruition. Oh, wow. Not to mention the fact that I get to sing some of the baddest music on planet Earth. Uh, and, and with and some
0: amazing people, too.
1: Some incredible people. But it's also given me the opportunity to to really get involved philanthropically, and and that's been a big driver for me. Uh, as far as just having a, some sort of a purpose in, in, inside this business, because it can get sort of self-involved if you let it. You know, I was oh, definitely sure. uh, very, very self-involved and, and ego-driven for most of my life. So to, to have something, an outlet that, that we can use to give the fans a little bit more incentive to come to the merch table and, and spend some money, it's it's just been all around. It's been an incredible experience for sure.
0: Even before the SOS project started, I want to find out a little bit more about how we got to that point, because I was looking and your first release was at age 20. And that was that was independent as well, right?
1: That's correct. Momentary setback. Okay. was sort of it was it was necessary because I didn't really have much going on prior to that. And uh, I had met with some labels out on the West Coast earlier that that year. In fact, I was in L.A. for the first time meeting with labels uh, from January 27th to February 3rd of 2002. Okay. But I didn't have, I had like three songs. I hadn't really sold very many tickets. I had no product, you know, so I didn't have any history of sales to show the labels. And and they just didn't have enough to chew on. Okay. Um, so they sent us back to the drawing board. I found out that my girlfriend at the time, my now wife was pregnant for our first child on February 2nd of 2002, so the day oh, before wow. I came home from that trip. Man. And uh, I just assumed that the gal that had flown me out there, uh, a woman named Leah Simon, uh, who was from my hometown, but had made it her career in the music business, she, I figured that once she found out that, that I was having a kid, that she probably wouldn't want anything to do with me. So I came home, told my parents I was having a kid, Told my dad that uh, you know I didn't think that Leah was going to be interested in in signing me or doing anything with me, helping me anymore. All right. Uh, and my dad said, "Okay, well, look, I'll produce a record on you. We'll we'll make an album together." Wow. So I called up Leah and said, "Hey, thank you for everything. I really appreciate it. But my dad's going to make a record." And she says, "Uh, uh, okay, let's do it." Wow. I got the I got the producer. I, I I'll do it. And she founded a record label for the sole purpose of putting that album out. And luckily, by the time nine months later, when we put that album out, I already had Island Def Jam chomping at the bit to sign us. And oh,
0: wow.
1: we had, you know, we debuted around here. We, we had a big old CD release party where I was able to sell a bunch of tickets and a bunch of albums and sort of prove my worth to Island Def Jam, who had flown my A&R girl, my, the, the woman that would become my A&R gal, uh, Diana Fragnito. They had flown her down for that big city release party. I had management in place by that point. So okay. everything kind of worked out. And and without Leah's guidance through that process, I definitely wouldn't be here talking to you. So then I make an album for for Island Def Jam called Karen Crow. That was my second release. Right. And it sort of put me on the map. I was able to get on tour with Maroon 5 and Gavin DeGraw wow. in those early days. Jeez. And, and we were like a rocket ship all of a sudden. I'm thought that we had arrived. I thought that, you know, it was a gravy train that was never gonna stop. Unfortunately, there was a massive shift in the executive structure at Island Def Jam after that album came out. Lior Cohen gets tapped to take over for Atlantic Records. Oh, and wow. subsequently he starts pulling all of his favorite people out of the company. So I got a new A&R person by the end of the process, a new oh. CEO, a new head of a and a new general manager, a new product manager, everybody oh that I worked with at the label was gone. I made a second album, second attempt for Island, and the new CEO, L.A. Reed, said that the record was too urban. He didn't oh. want to release it. He didn't want to put it out. Wow. So I asked to be dropped. I asked to be let go from the, my contract. That's amazing. They agreed to let me go, but they decided that I couldn't take the album that I had just recorded.
0: So what happened to that? I mean, is it still just sitting on the shelf somewhere or did any of that ever become any of these songs you've done since?
1: We re-recorded some of those things, but I had, not only could I not take the album, but I also had a non-compete. I couldn't re-record that album for another eight years. Wow. So I was in a bind. I was in just a sort of a, a pinch. Karen Crow had been out for like three years by this point. Right. Yeah. The tour promoters weren't really Buying a a show from us because we didn't have anything else going on to promote. We didn't have a record label behind us pushing an album. Oh my God. so I really had I was kind of desperate, and somebody suggested, let's do a soul covers album. And uh, it was something that was easy to do, quick and fairly cheap to be able to knock out. So we decided to go in the studio before we actually had a record deal in place for that album. I was in negotiations with Concord who had just bought Stax and was planning on re-releasing SOS 1 on Stax's 50th anniversary. I thought it was a match made in heaven. Wow. I made the album before I finalized that record deal. And once I turned it into the CEO of Concord, John Burke, he took a listen to it and said, you didn't do anything different. There's nothing different about these arrangements. The the press is going to eat you alive. I'm sorry. I don't want to sign this record.
0: Oh my God.
1: Which, you know, is whatever we found Vanguard stepped into the breach sight unseen. They said, we don't care what the album sounds like. We just want to work with you. Oh, here's wow. here's some more money. Uh, here's more money than Concord was offering. Let's do it. And so it was a one record deal and it was very successful. It was extremely successful. It brought us over to Europe for the first time oh, and cool. got us sort of got us out of this, this stagnation that we we had been in for about a year prior. And that led, funny story, Kevin Welk, who, who was the CEO uh, of Vanguard at the time. Again, it was a one record deal. So they didn't have, they wanted to sign me to a subsequent deal. But Kevin tells a story about going to a, uh, a CEO golf tournament where Lior Cohen, who had originally signed me at Island Def Jam, but was now at Atlantic at, by that point, Lior Cohen walks in on Kevin and Rick Krim, who ran VH1. Who is an old friend of mine walks in on Kevin and and bragging to to Rick Krim about my new record SOS one and saying how how excited he is to to sign me to a subsequent deal.
3: Nice,
1: Kevin, the way Kevin tells the story is that Lior heard that story and immediately called his lawyers and said, drop the paperwork. We're signing this kid to Atlantic. Oh, wow. So I ended up signing a pretty seriously big deal to Atlantic. I think I might've been the only artist that they brought over from Island Def Jam to Atlantic with all those, those, those folks. I negotiated a very, very powerful position for myself on that record. It's an album called Keep Coming Back. And years later, I heard from my former A&R guy at Atlantic, uh, Greg Nadell, that when he went over to Leor's house to play him that first album for Atlantic, that Leor stared a hole into him for the entirety of the run of the album. <laughs> and then immediately said, I don't know why the hell I get involved in A&R. So Leor's not very pleased with the album, to say the least.
3: Better look in your eye. you
1: But they were obligated to put it out. <laughs> i didn't I didn't have as much creative control over the second album that I did with for Atlantic. That was an album called Mark Broussard. It was self-titled, produced by a, an extremely talented guy and, and a co-writer of mine, a guy named Jamie Kinney. And uh, after that album came out, uh, my a and guy started managing Jamie Kinney, and I got dropped from oh. Atlantic. <laughs> so they liked the album. They just didn't like me. Oh, my yeah. gosh.
3: I remember watching my daddy play. He was the hero of all my dreams. I said, Daddy, want to be in a working band? Daddy, want to be the best I can? He said, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize. One day you'll find there's a light and it shines for you.
0: One of the things i thought was really cool and this is going back to your f- after uh, karen crow came out i noticed that when you went on tour you were recording the shows and then re- releasing those shows after the show people could buy the cd of the show they just <laughs> saw <laughs> yeah. that is amazing i absolutely loved it. i would have i would have bought every show every i would ever, i, I could have seen if i if they were if they had to doing that
1: they were very, very popular merch items, I'll tell you that. And lifesavers for us on those early years because we might have been getting paid three hundred dollars a night. And, and selling those live albums was was definitely a lifesaver. It allowed me to pay my guys, pick up some hotel rooms, feed people. It's a brilliant Unfortunately, idea. The Island Island put the, the kibosh on that once my first album for them came out.
0: Oh man.
1: Once I once once uh, Karen Crow was released, they said, look, we don't want any competition with with this thing at the merch table. So that's cut that out,
0: man. That's crazy. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just being a fan, I wouldn't consider that competition. I, it, to me, yeah. it sounds like it's supplementation. Labels tend to do
1: weird things. Yeah. You know, they do, well, yeah. they do very, very weird things. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the middle of a catalog deal right now with Concord uh, selling all the things that I own since I went independent and, wow. uh, and we made it ironclad, you know, that there was a deal breaker that, that we, I still had the ability to put up covers of my own songs, versions of my own songs as live performance videos on YouTube and Instagram and social media and whatnot. Yeah. And Concord tried to fight us on it. Oh, and we were like, wow. what are you talking about? We're just adding value to the catalog that you're buying. I don't yeah. understand why you wouldn't go for it.
0: It just makes no sense to me.
1: None whatsoever.
0: So." Your, your studio albums are amazing. I mean, I, I went back and, and started listening to these. They're really good. But once you hit a life worth living, that album, I, I don't know. It sounds like there's just a change in what you're doing. It sounds more mature. Uh, every, and everything from life worth living to now just sounds like the classic albums that you were influenced yeah. by. Like, you know, the, the Motown stuff and the Stacks. <laughs> it sounds a lot more like that, less Less produced for a pop single and more for the long haul. If that makes yeah. th- that's a, I, I don't know if that's a f- accurate I, or I, fair. I
1: think uh, you know that's one of the highest compliments that I've ever been paid to be quite honest. Uh, because I life worth living is is really the the moment where I took the reins uh, for my career.
3: That's the way that should feel. And this is gonna be painful, cause it's about to get real. You telling me to be honest how I wish I could.
1: Cause all I ever wanted was just to be understood. I was on Vanguard for that release, but I was trying to convince my managers uh, who, who were a new management firm that I had just hired prior to that deal. I was, prior to that, signing that album to Vanguard, I was really trying to convince my managers that we were ready to go independent. Wow. They didn't really have the faith quite then. It wasn't until after that album that they were like, you know what, we're, we're done working with these labels. We don't need them. You got it. Good for them. But I really took the reins. That, that album for is definitely the first in my, in my catalog where my vision was was brought to the table, more so than any other.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Another thing that and, I really really like, and I'm—I I'm didn't mean to interrupt, but one thing I, I do want to tell you is that I really love how you incorporate your dad into the music. That he's all over a bunch of these albums, and I—I I, I love that.
1: You know, it's—it's it's a way for me to to spend time with my father, which I love doing. It's a way for me to play music with my father, which I love doing. I like being able to go back and listen to my dad and I playing together. Yeah. I think that those things are probably going to be immensely valuable as time goes on. For sure. So, yeah. And my fans love him. My fans freaking adore my dad. <laughs> so, I love your dad. Yeah. Um, everybody loves the guy. Like and he loves place. him back. After shows that we do together, he'll he'll spend four hours talking to everybody <laughs> in the room.
0: I love that. That is so yeah, great.
1: And I get to pay him back. I get to pay him well. You know what I mean? When he yeah. comes in for these sessions and, and we do shows together, I get to pay him quite well. And oh, that's good. pay him back for for all those, you know, all those gas tanks to bring me to <laughs> soccer practice every yeah. Tuesday and Thursday and whatnot.
0: And, you know, <laughs> being the future Boogie King, the one and only in the in the club. That that's oh, worth yeah, something man. right there.
1: No doubt about
0: it. And I also like the Christmas album you did. It was just incredible, which also features your dad on it. But the second SOS album comes out. And and I've got to I guess the first question I want to ask about this is each one is for a different charity. How do you decide the 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 charity that you're going to give the money to for each different album?
1: Well, it's kind of all been a little different Um, for SOS, two, We chose a charity that, that had, uh, we had worked with. We had done a, a, a concert for this group called City of Refuge out of Atlanta. And once I found out about w- what exactly was going on at City of Refuge I, and realized just how comprehensively they were tackling the issues around homelessness, I realized that it was an organization that I, I felt really good about not only bringing attention to, but also throwing some money at so that was a no brainer. Once I just, you know, I, I had some inside baseball about how this organization operated and it was, it was extremely impressive. So I wanted to bring attention to them and help them with some dollars. So as three, another kind of inside baseball situation, just because uh, the the opening of a St. Jude affiliate children's hospital here in Baton Rouge was kind of a big deal. And it, it, it expanded our region's ability to care for chronic and terminal illnesses in, in children by a ridiculous amount. So that was a no brainer as well. Okay. Throwing, you know, some, some weight around, uh, helping sick kids seem to be, a very, very worthy cause, oh yeah, for sure, to, to partner with a lullaby album and a children's book.
3: When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are anything your heart desires will come to you
1: you': And then uh, for this fourth album, SOS4, we we're working with Joe Bonamassa and, and his record label, and they had, had had some experience with this organization called Guitars Over Guns, that just aimed to get instruments into the hands of young people so that we could hopefully keep them off the streets. And, uh, and Joe's team absolutely loves this organization. So they, you know, they gave it to us on a silver platter, wow. said, we, we, we've already got this partnership with them. We'd love to funnel you guys right into that, into that pipeline.
0: So there's a, a pretty big gap between the first and the second SOS album. Is that, was was that because you're on a major label and, and there was an issue? Or was it? Just, so it didn't SOS come
1: one, SOS one was born out of necessity for us. Mm-hmm. And then SOS two, three, four, and beyond—we're all really born out of a necessity or a desire to to actually get back into the studio with another project. Give me some more time in between and original records to to do some more songwriting. Okay, get some some cool songs on tape and raise money for for charities, obviously. So SOS one, like I said, was just born out of the need for us to get a new product out. And then everything else after that was sort of redirecting that focus, saying, "Look, this this cover album helped get me out of a real serious bind. Whenever I was in a hole in two thousand and six or seven, let's uh, let's use that same method to to get other folks out of a bind."
0: And you're getting people, some some big name people, to help you out with some of this stuff. Like one of my favorite things you've done is "These Arms of Mine" with Huey Lewis. That (laughs) first of all, this is just a. Cool ass duet. You and Huey Lewis is just amazing. But this it's one of the only times I've ever heard anybody cover Otis and do it justice because it's so hard to cover Otis.
3: These arms of mine. i
0: It just it matches. It, it's Otis. It's just a replica of Otis Redding. It's just, it sounds incredible and I love it so much. And it's, that's my wife's favorite Otis Redding song. So when she heard that she was just overwhelmed.
1: I've been singing Otis Redding since I was a little kid, man. <laughs> um, you know, and, and everybody that fronted the Boogie Kings, every guy that ever fronted the Boogie Kings sang Otis Redding. There was one guy when I was growing up, a guy named Dwayne Yates, who they call the ghost of Otis Redding. Oh, he'd, wow. he'd like, he'd do his makeup as white as a ghost as possible and put on <laughs> big old shades and he had <laughs> slick black white hair. Wow. Uh, and he sounded, he sounded exactly like Otis Redding. I would say that I, I do a decent amalgamation, but um <laughs> nonetheless, yeah, I've been singing Otis's music for my entire life, so that to, to be able to do it justice is definitely something that brings me a whole lot of joy.
0: It's amazing. and and you've done stuff with, like, Leanne Rimes has been on your albums. You've been on her albums. Kelly Clarkson uses one of your songs during a tour. You know, she played Home. Was it Home that she played during she, her tour?
1: Yeah, she played Home for years, I think.
0: That's incredible. And it, you had songs being used for the NBA All-Star Game. I mean, it's just, it's a testament to, the, to your talent as a songwriter, but also just, the, you know, the quality of the songs. And just, I guess uh, I'll stay with, the, just a, a testament it, to your, your talent. Man, it's been an interesting
1: ride, you know. I yeah. stayed away. I stayed down here in South Louisiana. I didn't go to Nashville when everybody else was going there. I didn't go to LA at ever, you know, okay. at, at any point. I stayed down here in the swamps and I'm very grateful for how things have gone to be quite honest. I can still walk down Main Street with my family in Disneyland and and not have to worry <laughs> about anybody bothering me. Um, but I've also been able to support my family exclusively on music for 20, 20 plus years now. So it's been a very, very interesting journey. I I wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't change anything about it. I'm looking forward to the next 20. I'll tell you that.
0: Um, the third one came out and it's a lullaby collection and you wrote a companion book for that. That's right. And my understanding is that you actually wrote that on a plane trip from my state, Virginia, down to Georgia
1: that's right, I, That's I was hanging out in Virginia. Um, my dad and I do this concert every year at this beautiful resort in Orange, Virginia. And I had worked with this fella that had produced a few performances that we had done out there. He, he had filmed a few of the performances for various productions, oh. a guy named Kurt Zenzian. And Kurt's wife is an, is a, uh, an illustrator and she and I had talked for years about working on a book together and finally we were together again after a few years of you know not seeing each other we were there at the the inn at willow grove and i said you know what it's time i'm going to do an sos lullaby album and we're going to put a book together and the flight home uh, on the on the route between on the leg between dc and atlanta i got inspired wrote wow. the book sent her the copy we made some uh some minor edits and uh we were off to the races. She turned in the illustrations pretty quickly. Gosh. And uh yeah, I, I became a published author of children's <laughs> books. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so it was awesome. it. <laughs> I love the book. The book is great. I think I have a copy somewhere here. I don't see it. Um the book <laughs> is fantastic. It's one of the most successful merch items that we've ever had. Uh, almost no one c- that comes to merch leaves without that book. Oh, wow. And from what I understand, the little kids absolutely love the book as well. There's a bunch of animals. You can find all the animals in there. Oh, cool. And it's a beautiful message. It's a a story that I got inspired based on a relationship that I have, a friendship that I have with a young lady from Alexandria, Louisiana, who's got cerebral palsy.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So they her and her family started showing up at my shows a long time ago and uh, I've gotten close with the entire family and thus discovered a little bit more about that condition and and realized that I was probably in school with some kids that I recall. Like I, re- I remember kids in wheelchairs and and you know nonverbal. Yeah, uh, those those kids were probably dealing with cerebral palsy. And had I known what I know now about that condition, I probably would have made at least overtures to friendship with those kids when I was in school. And I just wanted to kind of educate the young ones about the fact that there are folks out here that look and behave differently than us, but that are nonetheless still worthy of, of love and friendship. And so the book is called, I love you for you. And it basically is from, you know, from the the perspective that says, you know, no matter if you've had a, a bad day or the best day of your life, I love you for you. If you can see to the moon or if you need big old glasses, I love you for you. And
0: so, yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, and you do some really, cool songs on it. I mean, Moon River, you know, classic. Uh, never
1: thought I would sing that song.
0: Really? <laughs> I never in my
1: wildest <laughs> dreams thought I would sing that song.
0: It's amazing. That, and Return to Pooh Corner, um, Sweet Baby I, James. I mean, I've always I, I've, I've been singing
1: that song since I was a teenager. My dad and I used to do that one together. We still do. So that was, that was a guarantee yes. <laughs> Corner for sure, but no moon river. I heard Andy Williams version of moon river. And then all of a sudden I was yeah. just kind of fixated and couldn't shake it out of my head. Moon
3: river wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style. Someday, oh, dream maker, you heartbreaker, wherever...
1: And getting away from Andy Williams on that album from top to bottom was tough for me to do, to be quite honest. I just wanted to croon it all.
0: Oh, I'll bet. I mean, it's that's the quintessential version. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've always fascinates me about covers is... You can do it so many different ways, and I, I, I don't care as long as you do it well. I don't care if you're faithful to the original or you completely make it your own. As long as yep. it's genuine and and I, you can hear that you're giving it the respect it deserves, I love it.
1: We always try to you know pay homage and 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 pay respects where respects is uh, are due because. You know, again, these are songs that people have lived with that the fans uh, in some cases have lived with for decades. Yeah. And we don't want to just go, you know, crapping all over. <laughs> we wanna pay them the kind of respect that they deserve. So yeah, we we always go into these projects with, with that intention and, and hopefully it comes across.
0: Well, it definitely does as in the the new SOS forum, which is a blues focused album. And so, and the other ones haven't necessarily been blues focused. And this one is has, uh, 11 tracks and it's, yeah. it's, and before we get into, into it too deeply, Joe Bonamassa is all over this thing. And he, he's been a, you know, friend of yours for years. How did you meet up with Joe and start working with Joe?
1: Well, I've known Joe for years. I performed on his cruise, uh, out of Fort Lauderdale probably 10 years ago or more. Uh, and we've been acquaintances since then but one of my best friends and and my very first sideman is also now Joe's bass player he wasn't whenever we started this project he was but he was however doing uh, some horn and string arranging for Joe for the last several years so when i called him and talked to him cuz he's my best friend i called him to talk to him about doing this blues album uh, you know for SOS he said, you know, man, uh, I think you should uh, I think you should reach out to Joe and Josh. They've been producing all kind of blues records. I'm sure they would love to get on this project with you. Wow. I said, well, look, you greased the wheel from your side. I'll hit out. You know, I'll hit up the boys from my side and, and we'll see how it shakes out. And, and those guys jumped on the board immediately. It didn't take more than a, a few text messages to tell them what it what the plan was Uh, and even after i said look we're giving the money away for this thing is that all right joe said absolutely let's put it out together it would not have gone as well this album would not have gone as well as it it has had had those guys not been at the helm and uh and helping guide the process because the blues has always been in my wheelhouse but it's not my area of expertise so without without their influence i would have been in deeper waters than i'd care to (laughs) <laughs> to be swimming it alone you know
0: well i can understand because the ep you put out oh, a little while back it must be the water that i love that it's it sounds like a almost like a if if stevie wonder was creole it's just a <laughs> cool ass mix of sounds i love it
3: the city's on fire
0: It's and so that makes sense when you say that that blues is you, you do it, but it's not what, what you normally do. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm just I'm more Bobby Womack than Bobby mm. Blue bland, and I know those catalogs, you know, I know the soul catalogs uh, much better than I know the blues catalogs. So I wouldn't have been I, I would have just been way out of my depth, uh, had I been forced to pick the songs on my own.
0: How do you pick the songs? Like for, the, for example, for this, the SOS4, how did he go? You go about. Narrowing things down to eleven tracks.
1: Yeah, it's typically the same process, and 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 this one was, was not really any different at the outset. I basically ask all the stakeholders on the project to make a playlist of songs that they might want to hear. Okay, I'd cross-reference those lists. And if there are duplications across several lists, those typically will get a green light automatically. But after that, it's sort of a democratic process. And, and, you know, I, I ultimately have final say, but, and that's usually just based on, you know, I might, I might, you know, pull an audible just because something is easier for me to sing or better suited for me to sing than something else. But yeah, it's usually just a fairly democratic process. SOS 4, Josh and Calvin put together a playlist of about 30 songs. And I believe every single one of the songs that made the final cut came from that single list. So again, having Josh especially uh, and having his influence and guiding hand was crucial in picking the songs that ultimately made it on this album.
0: Were there any songs that when you saw the list, surprised you like why did they pick this song for me to do <laughs> yeah
1: um and did
0: those get recorded and on and and no on the no
1: <laughs> I, no so i think that there were. There, i think that if i if i had to guess and i've never asked but if i had to guess josh put together that playlist in a very specific order to, to sort of guide me exactly where he wanted me to go. I don't know if that's the truth, but I, I'd, I'd put money on it. Well, <laughs>
0: the album is is so good. The first, well, thank you. The first tracks are amazing, but for me, it just grabs me with the little Milton cover, track three. That's what love will make you do.
3: Self-control. That's what the lap will do for you. That's what the lap making. No matter how hard I
0: find it. Oh, I'm still in love with you. Oh my that that guitar tone, everything is just amazing. Man, it was a
1: tall order. I was kind of scared to <laughs> sing that song, to be quite honest. Really? Um, Yeah, well, first of all, the first question was, do I really sing it exactly the way Lil Milton did with with a particular, uh, like this particular thing that he kind of does with his throat and his mouth that I don't do naturally, but I I can do it and I can mimic exactly what he's doing. No problem. So that was the first question. And the difference between the two was that I could nail I could nail the part and the pitch a hundred percent of the times doing it like he did it, but I was just more myself. It sounded more like me doing it the way that I would do it. But my pitch was a little squirrely at times <laughs> okay. if I was going for it. So that was the first kind of aesthetic choice on that song that we had to make. But yeah, I mean, it was just a beast of a vocal. It's a, he's got such a freight train of a voice yeah. that, uh, I didn't know that I was, you know, whether or not I was going to be able to do it justice. Oh man! Well, I always gave me confidence.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> well, the next song, cutting in, that song's incredible. The guitar tone on that—it's. It, I mean, that whole song sounds like it could have been cut in 1959.
3: Pardon me, buddy, for being so bold my girl. You're dancing with. Excuse me, partner, For being so
1: cold. That was one that I uh, I really wanted to get my buddy Roddy Romero on. Roddy is is a, a friend of mine from here in South Louisiana. He's actually got a law named after him. He, the, Roddy oh. Romero is the reason why I was able to get into bars when I was a kid. And, really? and perform is because the Roddy Romero law, the Roddy Romero bill passed. Uh, he was a young phenom when I was growing up and uh, he, he was a, an accordion player and a zydeco Cajun player growing up. But at some point along the way, he picked up a guitar and begged Sonny Landreth to show him how to play slide. Wow. And finally Sonny relented and and Roddy has become one of the finest guitar players uh, that I've ever been, had the privilege to work with. And he's, he's perfect for that era, especially for that era of music, 1950s dance hall kind of stuff. It's right in his wheelhouse. And thankfully Joe being as humble and as, as gracious as he is had no issues whatsoever with anybody taking, taking his seat, uh, during the project. So I brought Eric Krasno in, I brought my own guitar player and, you know, when I told Calvin that I was bringing my guitar player, because I adore Bobby, Bobby Schneck Jr., Calvin, Joe's bass player, and my best friend says, Oh, you're bringing, bringing sand to the beach, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're bringing a guitar player to a Joe Bonamassa session. It's not, not necessarily the smartest thing he ever did, but Joe was very, very gracious and humble and gave up the chair. No, no issues whatsoever. Oh, no ego amazing. at play. He was beautiful.
0: That's amazing. So, so he's as beautiful as his playing is, then that's, he really, he
1: really is a doll of a dude. I love the guy. He's, you know, he's, he's got exceptional taste in musicians, exceptional taste in musical equipment and, and, and an impeccable set of skills and an impeccable set of ears too. So he's, he's an, an exceptionally genuine cat. I was, a joy to get to hang with him for that week that we were together. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Well, if you ever wants to do a podcast, let me know. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the next song, Dreamer, that is fighting with I Asked for Water for my favorite on the album. Mm. Those two songs, uh, they're so different, but I can't decide which is my favorite on the album. It kind of depends on when I'm listening, you know, what time of the day I'm listening or whatever. But that's a lot different than everything else on the album.
3: (laughs) do I say when I'm oh said to bud I think by now I'm wasting time
1: it is it's a little more soul than blues but because it was Bobby Blue bland we could get away with it one of the best moments uh, since we put this album out, I, I actually got a text from Bobby Blue Bland's son, Rod. Oh wow. Who, who's been a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for a few years. And Rod just sends me a video of him listening to that song, listening to our version and and shedding a few tears. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, you know, giving me the big, the big thumbs up and telling me that, you know, if his dad was still here, that he'd be grinning from ear to ear, listening to me sing that song. So I love Dreamer and I'm, I'm excited about playing it live. We haven't incorporated it quite yet, but we're going to soon.
0: You can't get a higher compliment than that. You really can't. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: Rod, Rod was, you know, Rod was also in Bobby's band for decade or more, uh, towards the end there. So Man. Uh, He would know. He would definitely have a very good handle on as to whether or not his father would enjoy that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So, and then, like the next one I wanted to mention was basically I already mentioned it. The one that's that's competing with Dreamer is I asked for water. Yeah. That literally, I'm I'm not even joking, not being hyperbolic at all. It gives me chills when I hear it. That's Wolf. I mean, you you're channeling Alan <laughs> Wolf. It is just uncanny. That is just, oh, I'm I'm getting that's I'm, I'm so getting fun about now thinking about it. Well, that's
1: what's so fun about these albums is like just putting on that character for for a little while and stepping out of my own zone and, and stepping into somebody else's skin for a second. It's, uh, it's a joy to be able to do it and, and do it. As soon as I was done with the vocal, J- Joe came out, I, you know, I, I walked out of the vocal booth and Joe was like, dude, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen happen in the music business. Wow. Oh. So I, I love singing that one. It was a lot of fun.
0: That is incredible. Now the last two songs are those covers of or those originals uh, driving wheel. And when will I let her go?
1: Driving wheel is an Al green tune. Okay. okay, Um, and, and that was actually the most daunting to sing out of the whole bunch, man. I I actually didn't sing it. Yeah. I sang it like four months after we finished tracking everything else I sang in the studio at tracking. Uh, I needed more time with driving wheel for sure. It's just so much attitude and so many little nuance moments because Al is so freaking. it just oozes out of him. You know, he doesn't have to fake it in any way. And so I needed to, I just needed to spend a little more time with the song so that I also would, would have a better chance of not having to fake it. Right. Um, <laughs> let her go is is the only original on the album. So okay. all the SOS all the SOS albums have one thing in common that's we in our hubris attempt to write an original song that would hopefully stack up next to all those classic hits. Uh and so when will I let It go is 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 the original on this album.
3: sitting here all alone wandering hollow with all in wrong trying every day to keep a habit but every night i'm by myself
1: calvin and josh presented me with um a sort of an instrumental demo of what they were thinking for the original and uh calvin had sort of a hook in mind and that was all I needed. I was off to the races. I think I wrote the lyrics for that song in probably about 25 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the, the day that we tracked it. Maybe when it comes,
0: I guess it just it just comes.
1: Yeah. Especially when somebody gives me like, not only gives me the framework of the entire song, but also gives me something that I can sink my teeth into as far as a a lyrical hook. You know, Calvin was just like, yeah, like when will I let her go? That was kind of all I needed. That that paints, that paints the whole theme right there in that line for me. So I I was able to just jump right in and knock it out.
0: In doing the research, I've listened to some interviews and all that. That seems to be, how some of your, my favorite songs that you've written come to you, you just align and, and you work it out from there.
1: It's happened pretty, it's happened several times where the song just comes in like, like it's a a, a message on a wire. Wow. Those are very, very interesting times to say the least, <laughs> because you feel like a passenger more than a, more than a driver. And then there are also plenty of times where, where you, you just get inspired by this one little tiny thing and you, you have to really dive in. Uh, I usually hit a wall in those scenarios around the 45 minute mark. And for most of my career, I would stop there and i would just like make a voice memo and, and put what I had down and come back to it later in a writing session with somebody. Mm-hmm. What I discovered a few years ago is that if I just push through that wall, it doesn't take more than about 10 or 15 minutes to get the rest of the tune done. So I've been trying to push through the wall more often uh, lately.
0: And you just came back. I think you just wrapped up a tour just uh, not too long ago, right?
1: Man, we're never wrapping up (laughs) anything. We're always on tour.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. So you got a two week
1: break right now. I've got a two week pause right now, but I'll, I'll go to LA after this two weeks is over and uh, make another original album with my buddy Eric Krasno, producing an original album on me. Then we'll go to Costa Rica. And then I think we're in Europe for like a month. The rest of the year is quite busy. And then I, I think we're actually planning on going into the studio in January with Joe and Josh again to make an original blues album. Oh, wow. And we're going to make another SOS for release next year as well. So I think I'm going to drop three albums next year. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: That's amazing. Well, That's we'll the to, goal. You'll we'll have to come back and we can talk about them. I'd love to. If you're going to do another SOS album, I, I, I want to make a request. Jeez. And I know how far these go. Trust me. You don't, you, but, but humor me. <laughs> <laughs> how about Screaming Jay Hawkins? All right. I don't know which I, song yet. I love Alligator Wine or All Right. I put a spell on you. I'm I'm open to any. G- screaming Jay Hawkins, really. He was just such a unique character.
1: Yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do for the next one. That's the the fun thing about these SOS projects. It's like the world is an oyster. I could do a yacht rock SOS. I could Ooh. do a country SOS. Nice. So I don't know yet. The charitable side of the things sort of point the point the light to actually where we'll end up i don't know what charity we would we would have to partner with for a yacht rock album but uh um new sperry topsiders affluenza for the, for the, yeah exactly the,
0: <laughs> well I, all right so i've got another idea and, and I'll, I'll tell you about this real quick because this is something i just did so i actually i'm putting out a charity album myself oh nice yeah i actually got a bunch of former podcast guests to record spinal tap songs <laughs> and, that's
3: fantastic.
0: Because and, and, it's all, it's a Spinal Tap tribute because I had a guy on and we were talking, his, his band, Das Dahmen from the 80s and the 90s, used to do tons and tons of tribute albums. He, they, he, they're self-described tribute album, Whores. I love that. And they did, a, they did one for the Ruddles. So we started talking about how that's crazy because the band never existed. So has anybody ever done one for Spinal Tap? And while we're talking, I looked it up and it's, no, no one's ever done a Spinal Tap. I said, maybe I should put one together. He said, if you put one together, my band will contribute a song. All right. What do you, what do you raise the money for? We're sending all the money to teen cancer America. So oh, that's beautiful, man. That's a, uh, it's the charity. It was actually founded. And the podcast network that I'm on has a connection with teen cancer America because it was founded by Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend.
1: That's beautiful.
0: All the artists contributed songs. Uh, my buddy Jordan Zadarazni up in Pembroke from the band Blinker the Star. He does a lot of production. So he's mixing, he's doing two mixes, one for a digital download, one for a vinyl release. And uh, love it. So yeah, so you may, maybe That's you want to do a Spinal Tap album. I, I'm, I'm way in. <laughs> <laughs> this, this will come out probably after your European leg. So, um, I was looking at the tour dates and I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I didn't see any East coast dates on your website yet. So I'm hoping to we're see coming, some t- tour. We're coming
1: uh, February and March of next year because we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of my first big major label album, Karen Crow. It's the 20th anniversary. So we've, we've got a big old Eastern uh, East coast tour oh, planned for February through March. Oh, uh, sweet. Yeah, it's going to be a ball, man.
0: Well, yeah. I definitely want to come and see you. If you come anywhere near the Washington, D.C. area, I, I live close by, I would definitely We'll be there. Love, oh, all right, I'm there. We
1: just did 930 Club like three months ago.
0: Oh, damn it. <laughs> Man, my timing good. with you is all Don't worry, off. we're coming back.
1: Awesome. We'll come back, don't worry.
0: Good. Well, where can people follow you and find out how to buy the, the SOS album and support the charities and sure. find your tour dates and support you on, on your tours?
1: You can find me at markbroussard.com. You can find all that information there, as well as all of my social media links. They're all at Mark Broussard, Uh should be at least and we're always on tour. We're constantly <laughs> on tour. So we'll we'll definitely be coming I'm sure somewhere near your listeners uh at some point in the next calendar year for sure.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I cannot wait to see you live because I, your voice is amazing and it's it's one of those voices that's just, it's not a studio talent. I mean, you you kill it live too because I've been watching a bunch of videos the entire home album. I watched all the videos for that. It's Your live performance is just incredible. So I am dying to see a show.
1: Man, we have a good time. Bring the dancing shoes. Yes. Uh, You know, we we really do try to have the most fun that we possibly can at the show. Keep a real light. You're not going to hear any kind of political talk from my stage. I'm trying to take you out of all that bullshit. So... Y'all come out, have a good time, drink a little bit, shake a tail feather. You, you'll remember, you'll make a memory.
0: This has been a blast. and I'm, It's been an honor chatting with you and, and and hearing these stories. Now, one thing I did hear before I let you go. Sure. I have heard that you are a bit of a prankster. Oh, really? I've heard, I heard a couple of stories about fake arresting an uncle <laughs> and, <laughs> and some other stories. like this. So is that something that, you, I mean, do you have any... Uh, is that something you do to your band have,
1: members too, or I don't have a preoccupation with pranking anybody okay. necessarily. When uh, <laughs> I mean the opportunity and, arises, yeah. The more elaborate pranks, are, <laughs> are, you know, they've been like a handful or less. Me mock arresting my uncle that that was the best thing that I ever did. <laughs> uh, sometimes I like messing with people. I, I do like gaslighting people sometimes.
3: All right, uh, making
1: them pretend that I'm making you know making pretend like I'm like I'm freaking out, and super angry, and then re- <laughs> like. I'm just messing with you. Don't worry. <laughs> well, uh, makes my tour manager crazy, but oh, that's yeah,
0: about it. it. Keeps them on their toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks, Mark. Thank Take you, care of yourself, brother. You too. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. The
3: time is now. I heard somebody say you have to get better.